This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Today, I want to take a, a topic that uh, probably is one of the foundations of any church, and it's a doctrine. Now, sometimes, you know, you want to hear good preaching. Well, today I'm going to give you good teaching, and I'm going to talk to you about a doctrine called the doctrine of baptism. Baptism in water. And I'd like to start by just reading from our statement of faith. We believe that baptism in water is by immersion and is a direct commandment of our Lord, and it's for believers. It's for believers only. This ordinance is a symbol of the Christian's identification with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Matthew chapter 28 says it this way. It says, Therefore go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Romans 6.4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been joined together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Then in Colossians 2 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul said, We are buried with him in baptism, in whom also you were raised through the faith of the working of God, raising him from the dead. And then finally, in the book of Acts, we see a story where after the resurrection of Jesus and the uh, evangelist Philip is taking a journey and he finds himself walking next to a, the chariot or the, the, uh, the caravan of an Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the book of Isaiah and he can't understand it. And Philip draws near to his chariot and says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, how can I understand it unless somebody explains it to me? And so he begins to explain to him, not in religious terms, but in that this book in Isaiah was speaking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as they're reading, he's convincing him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and listen to what it says. After he was convinced in his heart, it says, and as they passed along the way, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, it is lawful. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. When they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. But he went away, and on his way, rejoicing. There's a symbolism around water baptism, and Wayne Gruden, one of the great scholars of the Bible, says this. He says, baptism is an ordinance that is observed once by each person as a sign of the beginning of his or her Christian life. We believe in one baptism. Now, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but one baptism in water. One baptism. One Christ. One Lord. We have a confession of faith that we make. The Apostles' Creed. Millard Erickson, another great, great Bible scholar, says this. He defines water baptism as an outward symbol 
of an inward change that has been affected in the heart or the life of the believer. He says it serves as a public testimony to one's faith in Jesus Christ. He says it is an initiatory right, an initiatory right. So the, 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 the definition of baptism for the use of our service today, the definition of baptism in, implies three important symbolic meanings. Namely, it's an initiation rite. Secondly, it's a purification rite. And thirdly, it's an identification rite. Thank you for putting that up on the screen. You're a little late, but better late than never. An initiation rite, a purification rite, and an identification rite. So, but, but before I touch those three, let me, let me just clarify something between the difference between a sacrament and an ordinance. A sacrament is a ritual that is believed to have a role in saving the soul of a person. Theologically, we say it has salvific power. In other words, it's believed to be essential for salvation. As a church, we do not believe that baptism is essential or necessary for salvation. Therefore, we don't regard it as a sacrament. An ordinance, on the other hand, is an institution that the church observes for its symbolic value in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, water baptism is, first of all, an initiation rite. When somebody becomes a Christian, they are baptized as a formal and public way of declaring that they become part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism is a public declaration of two things. First of all, of repentance from sin. Mark 1 says this. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Peter picks this theme up in Acts chapter 2 and says, and Peter, when he preached on the day of Pentecost, he says, he said to them, his, his message was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So first of all, it's for the remission of sins, or the, it's to a repentance unto the remission of sins. Secondly, it's faith in Christ. Mark 16, 16 says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe is condemned. Baptism doesn't make a person a member of the body of Christ. It simply testifies to the fact that you've become a member. Baptism signifies repentance from sin and rebellion against God. And it uses an imagery of the washing away of sin. I love Galatians in the, new, in, uh, in the, uh, in the uh, third chapter. It says, for as many as you have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You have to understand something. Part of walking as a Christian is putting off your flesh, putting off your old man, and putting on Christ. It's intentionally living like Christ would live. It's intentionally doing what Christ would do. It's intentionally putting off what your flesh wants to do and doing what Christ wants to do. That's what baptism is. Water baptism symbolizes the believer's incorporation into the body of Christ. You see, the moment we are saved, 
the Holy Spirit enters into our lives and he makes us part of the body of Christ. When we are baptized, it's an outward testimony to the fact that we have become members of Christ's body. I think another way of saying it is this. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward happening. When we're baptized, the believer is baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says it this way. For by one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. We're all baptized into this. Let me explain something to you. It's very important that every person makes this decision because God doesn't have grandchildren. See, you can't be baptized for your children and you can't have children and, you, and even, even if you want your children to be baptized, they can't. They have to make their own decision. God doesn't have grandchildren. See, baptism is a bold and public declaration of your conversion to Christ. Secondly, baptism is a purification rite. Water baptism symbolizes the washing away of sins. Water baptism does not actually wash away our sins because the blood of Jesus is what washed away our sins. But when we receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, his blood cleanses us from all sin. But the significance of baptism is more symbolic. It symbolizes the fact that our sins have been washed away. And then third, water baptism is an identification rite. When we're baptized, we're symbolically and mystically united to Christ. We're united to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You know, just as he died for our sins and rose anew and into new life, so we die to our sinful lives. and We begin to serve a life of serving the Lord. Romans says it this way. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Can you understand that the new birth, the new life, being born again, we identify with Christ through baptism to say that, hey, that has taken place in my life? Let me summarize this. Water baptism is a symbolic act. It serves as a public declaration of repentance from our sins and faith in Christ. It testifies to the fact that the believer's sins have been washed away because he was supernaturally united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Water baptism is also a symbol of our commitment to Christ. You see, baptism signifies a commitment to Christ showing to everyone your decision to become his disciple. Matthew 28 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a scholar, his name is Richard Averback, and he made a comment about the early church. He says, it would not occur to them, that is the early Christians, that there could be a Christian in a local church who had not been baptized. The close proximity, time-wise, between trusting in Christ and being baptized is significant. It implies that they could not conceive of a true Christian who is not willing to express his commitment to the Lord. That was not one of the options given to persons being evangelized. He either trusted in Christ and was baptized, knowing the implications in terms of commitment and lifestyle, or he rejected the truth. See, the early church made a great distinction. You couldn't just come to church. Church wasn't a place for entertainment. Church was a place for commitment. Church was a place for discipleship. So let's ask this question. I have this, people ask me this all the time. Who should be baptized? Should we practice infant baptism? Or do we practice believer's baptism? Well, I think the question to that, or the answer to that question has to be based on the meaning of water baptism. What does it mean? Well, since water baptism is a symbol of being, it's a symbol of be the beginning, really, of the Christian life. It's the beginning. Only those who have personally committed their lives to Christ should be baptized. Therefore, it really is only that believers should be baptized. Now, there's no age limit on who should be baptized. But the only requirement is that a person must have understood the gospel and made a personal and responsible commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior in order to be baptized. Now, I know that infant baptism is widely practiced today. And it's a pledge on behalf of parents to raise their children in a godly manner. A public pledge to raise a public pledge to raise children in a godly manner is not a bad thing. It's a noble thing. It's a desirable thing. And, but I don't think it should be confused with water baptism. Here in our church, Celebration Church, we believe in dedicating our children to God. Water baptism is a public declaration of faith in Christ. And each of us make, must make that decision for ourselves. Like I said, God has no grandchildren. Our parents can't make that decision for me. Nobody else can make that decision for us, not even our parents. Now, the question of how we baptize is also closely related to whether we should baptize infants or believers. You see, those who baptize infants mostly do so by sprinkling. Or those who baptize adults do so by immersion. The biblical method of baptism was baptism by complete immersion. Now, many churches still argue that sprinkling is acceptable and an acceptable form of baptism. But there are several factors that are against this. First of all, the Greek word for baptize is baptizo. And it, it simply is defined as and refers to immersing or dipping something into liquid, such as dipping a piece of fabric into dye. All examples of, bio, of baptism in the Bible in 
All references throughout scripture and other early Christian literature show that the early church baptized by immersion. The earliest known examples of infant baptism only go back to the third century. And basically that was because there were plagues that struck the world and there was a bishop and really it was out of Ireland to be honest with you and this bishop decided that hey listen we have so many children dying and we want them to be in the church. So he made a decree and they began to do infant baptism and it swept through the church. But it was never the practice of the early church. The early church was never to baptize babies, it was to baptize believers. The symbolism of being united with Christ in death and resurrection requires immersion since water has to symbolize a grave. So here's the significance of water baptism. First of all, why should we be baptized? Why, why should we? Well, if baptism is just a symbol of internal change that takes place in a believer's life, the question is how essential is it for us to be baptized? Well, I think baptism is necessary for spiritual growth, but it's not necessary for salvation. We are saved by repentance and by faith, not by some magical ceremony. However, Jesus made a commandment that we should be baptized. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you till the end of the age. We should be baptized in obedience to Jesus' command to be baptized. Now, although baptism itself does not save us or wash away our sins, it serves as an essential first step of obedience on our road to discipleship. The Christian life is walking in daily obedience to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's my question. If we fail to obey in such simple matters as baptism, how will we obey his more difficult commands? Now, baptism also functions as a seal, a seal of our commitment to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, verses 1 and 2. And brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant that all of our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Well, what this is, is Paul is comparing our baptism or the baptism of a believer to the Israelites when they crossed through the Red Sea and they came out of Egypt. Isn't that a picture of our lives? We were dead in sin. We were slaves to sin. We were bound by a Pharaoh, by the sin of Egypt, the cares of this world. Jesus comes. He delivers us from our sins. The next thing we find ourselves at the Red Sea, what do we do? We go through the waters of baptism out the other side. That's the obedience the children of Israel were baptized in the Red Sea. It was a picture of the sea below, a cloud above. That baptism, when that sea closed in behind them and destroyed all their enemies, acted as a barrier, a deterrent from them ever returning again to Egypt. Now, they murmured, they complained, they wanted to go back to Egypt, 
but they never went back to Egypt. Let me tell you something, that's the picture of the Christian life. You may murmur and complain, and you may think that the world looks good, but once you're born again, you go from grace to grace, from strength to strength, and from glory to glory. You know, there's, there's, there's uh, one communist country, and I'm not going to mention its name, but the sentence for, for professing their faith in Christ was three years in prison. Now, you know our country practices scientific socialism, so they're not really too open to true Christianity. They'll settle for some of the stuff that we do, and they have pretend Christians that are, you know, they, they use religion, but many of our politicians have hated the church, and they've been vocal against it, but they see that there's been a move of God, and so they pay lip service to it, but they don't really love the church, and that's evident. They don't love people because of the way they treat them, but we understand that in this kind of a mindset, here they hated them so much that if you professed Christ, you had three years in prison if they caught you. But the sentence for being baptized was 14 years in prison. You see, the communists realized that baptism has the power to consolidate a believer's commitment to Christ. There's a power in baptism. Once you've made a public statement that you're baptized, something happens. Baptism is, total, is to totally immerse yourself and, be, and, 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 and we, to be totally immersed and to pull out again in the biblical sense of the word. That actual Greek word means to immerse completely underwater. Now, there are many denominations that have wars over this topic. We, the church in this country, we have fought wars over the, talk, the topic of baptism. We, fought, we fight over methods of baptism. We fight over how to baptize. We in form and in doctrine. Some of the doctrines say that we should baptize in the name of Jesus only. Well, that's because although Jesus commanded us to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, throughout the scriptures, you don't see anyone actually baptized in that formula. There's no, there's no evidence of that in the Bible. You don't see it. We just know that Jesus commanded it. But let me just suffice to say this. In the book of Colossians, the Bible said that Jesus is the head of him who is head of the whole, or who is the, is, is the whole Godhead. He's the, head of the, he's the bodily form of God in the Godhead. He, he, in Christ, the Godhead dwells. So the point is that Jesus has the fullness of the Godhead inside of him. They are three in one, one in three. So we take Jesus at Jesus' mandate where he says, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe it's done. We believe that's how it's supposed to be done. Now, I'm not going to deb debate anybody. I'm not going to argue with anybody over what name you want to baptize with. If it's Jesus only or in Jesus Christ's name or in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, I don't want to fight over that because Jesus commanded us to baptize he said, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching people. So we're going to do that. We're going to baptize people. See, in this church, we baptize, however, as Jesus commanded, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Now, there are also people who argue that there's a method of being baptized, and whether it be sprinkling, or whether you baptize infants, or whether you dip once whether you dip three times. And, and I'll tell you what, there's great arguments for all those things. One group will tell you that you dip into the Father, 
into the Son and into the Holy Spirit. You need three or you didn't get it. They think that we're baptizing into three separate entities. Yet we believe that they're three in one. Well, we're not dipping into those three things. We're dipping into water. See, the agent is water, not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're not dipping into those. We're dipping into water. The Bible says baptism is in water, not into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But see, churches have fought over that doctrine. And you'll go to some churches, and they'll teach you you have to be dipped three times. Sometimes you have to be dipped one time. Sometimes you, and, and look, if you need a triple dip, hey, I'm not going to fight with you. Go ahead and get a triple dip. Go right ahead and get your triple dip. I, I don't think that that's the point. Okay? But in our church, we're going to baptize you once in the element of water. And then we're going to pull you out of that water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? Just to be clear. Now, children baptism. Why can't children be baptized? I hear somebody saying that. Well, the Bible's very clear. The Bible says, repent, believe, and be baptized. So a child must be able to repent and believe before they qualify for baptism. Now, a lot of times when people bring me their little babies and they say, can you baptize or can you christen our child? I say, no. Because in our church, we don't christen. We dedicate. We use the pattern of the Bible. The Bible has a pattern. When Jesus was eight days old, they took him to the temple and they dedicated him to the Lord. They presented him to the priest. They presented him before the Lord. And that's what we do. Now, we can't always get our children here on the eighth day. So what we do is, when you come to the understanding of your need to dedicate your children, we have you bring your children and we have a dedication ceremony right here in the church. Every month or every other month, we have a baby dedication. Bring your child. We'll dedicate them before the Lord. Now, we sometimes get little babies. But you have to understand that we have people getting born again all the time. We have people coming to know Christ all the time in this church. And so sometimes we have people that bring their children and they're five, six, seven, eight, 10, 12 years old sometimes and they've never been dedicated. So the parents say, hey, we want to do this the right way. How do we bring your children? We'll dedicate them. That's perfectly fine. But understand this. There'll come a time when your children will have a conviction of sin in their lives. They will understand that they need Jesus and that they need to be born again and that they need to be baptized. When that day comes, when that day happens, you bring them to baptism class, just like I'm teaching you this morning, and we'll teach them. And when they fully understand, then they can be baptized in water. How old can a child be before they can be baptized in water? How old do they have to be? Well, you know, I grew up a Catholic, and in the Catholic Church, they say you must be at the age of reason. Now, I've learned this. I believe you must be at the age of, to understand what you're doing. So we don't set an actual date for your children, but we'll question you and we'll question your children and we'll ask, do they really understand what they're doing? You see, some children mature faster than others. Some people come to the knowledge of faith faster than others. Some have a great propensity towards God. One of the great evangelists that has, came to Africa was a man named Reinhard Bonnke. And 
he had this testimony. He says, I thank my mother and father that they made me go to church every Sunday night. He says, because if they hadn't, and I think he was eight or nine years old, he says, if they hadn't, I would not have given my life to Christ. Our, our job isn't to save our children. Our job is to give them exposure to the gospel. Our job is to teach them in the way. Our job is to coach them and to help them and to, and, and to have a living faith in ourselves that they can see and live and want in their lives. That, that leads me to another thing about baptism. I want to talk a little bit about the significance of water baptism. What I want you to understand is that when a person is baptized in water and his whole body is immersed in water and brought out again, the significance of the water baptism is that it, it, it signifies our identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our, our Savior. But the scripture refers to it as Jesus being the last Adam. Or the second Adam, I should say, the last man. In 1 Corinthians, listen to what it says. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of death also came through a man, or comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. Verse 45 jumps down and says, for, this, for it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last man, Adam, a living or a life-giving spirit. So here's the picture I want you to understand. First of all, you have to understand that that's why we have to be born again. When you're born into this world, you're born of water. The Bible says every man must be born of water and of the spirit. When you're born into the world, you're born of water. What does that mean? You came out through the, your mother's water broke. You came out through the birth canal. The waters break and you're born of water. You're born into the world. You're, you're born into Adam. Now, Adam, when he was first created, he wasn't born. When he was first created, he was without sin. But he committed high treason against God. He sinned, and the devil became the god of this world. Satan. God had a dilemma. He wasn't caught off guard, but God had a dilemma. He had a plan to redeem man. He says, I'm going to send the second Adam, the last man. And through the second man, who also was without sin and didn't sin, although he was tempted in every way to sin, didn't sin, he became our sacrifice. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. That through the second Adam, the last man, we could all be saved. So here's the picture I want you to understand. There are only really two people that count on earth. Adam and Christ. If you are in Adam, you're a sinner. In Adam, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The sin that Adam created and that he thrust on creation and all of mankind is what we call original sin. The sin of Adam. It's the sin that we're all born with. We don't have a choice in it. God, through his son, sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for that sin. Jesus is the second Adam, the last man. And you and I, by our will, by our choice, have a choice to accept that sacrifice of the second Adam or reject it. 
Jesus came for righteousness. He came without sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. But it's our choice. We get to determine which Adam we live in. You can continue living in Adam, the first Adam, in sin, or you can be born again. And if you're born again through your decision, then you're to be baptized into Christ. You see, <sighs> Jesus and his sacrifice for us, and you have to understand this, he represented us. He took our place. When, when a person receives Jesus as his Lord, he identifies with what happened to Jesus. Romans says it this way, and I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. It says, uh, we have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and the power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life. That means abandoning our own ways. For if we have become one with him, that means permanently united in the likeness of his death. We will also be one with him and share fully in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self, our human nature without the Holy Spirit was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And I said earlier that, you know, the scripture tells us that whoever you yield your members to obey, you become the slave of. If you yield your members to obey sinfulness, you'll be a slave of sin. If you yield your members to obey righteousness, you become a slave of righteousness. All I'm saying today is that water baptism is a physical act that should leave an indelible mark, an indelible mark in the mind of every person that's being baptized, that they are really identifying with Jesus. In reality, we're being buried, resurrected into the newness of life. Corinthians tells us that when we give our life to Christ, we become a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things become new. Water baptism gives the believer the opportunity to openly tell others about their faith, to testify of their born-again experience. So I'm going to be asking you, each and every one of you, to do something next weekend. Next weekend, we're going to have a water baptism right here in the church. Now, we have one every month, but this weekend, we're going to do it not in the backyard, but we're going to put it right here on the altar. We want to celebrate water baptism. I, I, think, I think that some of you have never really understood the power of a testimony, the power of what water baptism does. And I, I want you to see it front and center. And I think it's really important that you testify of your faith in Christ. Now, there's no such thing as a secret Christian. Christianity was never secret. It's always been wide open. You're either a Christian or you're not. And I'm inviting you to invite people. I'm inviting you to invite your family. I'm inviting you to invite your unsaved friends and your saved friends. I'm inviting you to invite your cell group. Anybody that doesn't know Christ, invite them. Next weekend, we're going to have a big event, a big celebration. And then afterwards, I want you to celebrate. I want you to go home and I want you to bring your friends around and you know, have them bring some meat and some whatever you want to do, but have a picnic or have a braai. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, if you, and if you're in a cell group, 
have your cell group join you and gather around you. Let's celebrate everybody that's being baptized next weekend. Have your friends bring something to celebrate. What are we celebrating? This is a man or this is a woman who was dead in their sins and now they're alive in Christ. So we want you to bring all these people, especially those that don't know Christ, and tell them. And when people see what happens to you, I can tell you what they're going to do. They're going to say, wow, I want that too. I want what just happened. Whatever that was, I don't know what that was, but I want what happened to them. And uh, there's some things I want you to do when you come. You know, I, I travel quite a bit, and you know, I've noticed something. Nobody ever gets mad at me if I tell them I'm a book writer or that I'm a lecturer. Or if I tell them that I take care of orphans or that I have taken care of refugees. If I tell people those things, and I do all those things, if I tell them I'm a motivational speaker, hey, they're very interested in me. But the minute I tell them that I'm a preacher, the minute I tell them I'm a pastor, and that I serve Jesus Christ, that I do Christian work, eee, the conversation changes. See, as long as I'm someone that they can relate to, they like me. But the minute that I identify with Christ, I run the risk of them not liking me. It's not me that they don't like. See, it's Christ that offends them. To some, Christ is a sweet-smelling savior. Those of us that are living, I love Christ. I love Jesus. But to those that are perishing, he's a stench in their nostrils. I think the reason that people struggle with Jesus sometimes is partly due to the fact that we as the church have not represented him very well. We kind of have a double standard. We haven't really done it well, you know. But partly due to the fact that he himself is a very polarizing individual because he speaks of righteousness. He speaks of judgment. Are you listening to me? So when you identify yourself with Christ, what you're really saying is I identify with Christ. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ who lives in me. I'm going to live for him now. And that's a very important thing that we do. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.